Jesus is enough. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, as we introduced this book, Paul had not personally met uh, these Christians in the town of Colossae. Uh, he had a secondhand knowledge of them, and they had a secondhand knowledge of him. They had heard about Paul. Who, even in the non-digital uh, world that they lived in back in the day, uh, they had heard of this man who used to kill Christians, who now was championing the cause of Christ. They had heard of him. And Paul, what he does here at the end of the first chapter in the book of Colossians, and then the first couple of verses uh, that we'll get to next week in the second chapter of the book of Colossians, is he somewhat does a, a little bit of an introduction. He wants to tell the people a little bit more about himself, um, and he wants them to get to know him a little bit better. And by the way, as he is seeking to have an influence in their life, and he's seeking to lead them properly um, as, as a spiritual leader. Uh, that's always a good thing to be uh, transparent, to be open about who you are. I tell people sometimes, I feel like I can be a little bit too transparent. That's okay. I would rather be a little too transparent uh, than to not be transparent at all, right? So Paul does want them to know that he's not writing this letter in any sort of, of pride. There's no uh, pride going before him. Um, his entire ministry, uh, from the beginning of his ministry uh, to now, uh, to when it ends, it is all about suffering, preaching, teaching, traveling, church planting. But it's all for them. It's all for the church. It's all for the work of the Lord. And he sits in his jail cell or at the very least under house arrest in Rome and he introduces himself a bit more. I want you to get to know Paul a little better. And so today our sermon is simply this. It's entitled Beautiful Mysteries. Beautiful Mysteries. You see Paul was a unique man. There were some things about Paul that we're going to see in this text that were just very unique. In fact, they don't necessarily go together. They're mysterious. We're in chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, beginning in verse 24. If you have a Bible, that's great. Follow along. If not, feel free to follow along on the app, or the verses will be here on the screen. Verse 24 says this, Paul speaking, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Amen. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You can see the mystery in verse 26 that was hidden for ages and generations and we're going to get to that point that's the mystery of the gospel and uh, but I believe there are two other mysteries 
that Paul speaks of here, as he's speaking of himself a little bit. But I believe there's two other mysteries, there's three total in this text that I want us to see this morning. Beautiful mysteries in the life of Paul the Apostle. Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, may you guide my tongue, may you guide my thoughts, may you guide the listeners this morning, and may today not be information, but may today be transformation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to see, first of all, this morning, jumping right into our text, because I know the time, I know the buntlets. All right, so jumping right into our text. Number one, I want us to see this, the mystery of suffering. The mystery of suffering. Look at the very first verse in our text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the, his, his body. That's the church. I rejoice in suffering. Boy, that's a mystery. That's an obvious mystery. I'm not sure how many of us go through a season of suffering in our lives and we're like, time to rejoice. Hey, bro, I got some really good news. I'm suffering. I just had to share it with somebody. Hey, guys, we're going to have a big get-together at work, all the work buddies. I just want to get everybody together tonight. I just want to bring you here and let you know something. I'm suffering. Isn't it great? That's a mystery. The fact that Paul, as he sits in prison, like I said, at the very least under house arrest, unable to leave, unable to preach the word, unable to fulfill what he knows is his calling in in the moment. As Paul sits there in prison and he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. This is not the only place that Paul speaks of his Suffering. Look at Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings, and Paul, in this text, Tells us why, because oftentimes suffering leads to, and leads to, and leads to, and leads to. And I believe if we were very honest with each other this morning, we would all agree that the times in our lives when we have suffered greatly have been the times that we have drawn closer to the Lord. When life is great, sometimes we don't need Him, or so we think. When there is no suffering, we just kind of punch in life and punch out life. When everything's okay, we just move right along. But Paul writes this from prison. Paul writes this at a time when he was experiencing this suffering. And the mystery of suffering is this one word. Rejoice. Rejoice. It's against our nature. It doesn't make any logical sense. And by the way, a lot of faith and a lot of belief makes logical sense. But we must all come to the grips with with the fact that 
Some of it will not make logical sense. And for those of us that like to reason and logic everything out, some things don't make logical sense. Rejoicing and suffering does not make logical sense. But I believe here in uh, theologian N.T. Wright said it this way, Paul, when speaking of suffering, he's alluding to practicing the principle of Calvary. Wow. Think about that. When he alludes and speaks of suffering, it's Paul's way of practicing a principle of the cross. The ultimate suffering that Jesus and Jesus alone bore. It's as if Paul is trying to live out his own words that he wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And we all know this verse, that I may know him. Yes, and the power of his resurrection. Clap. Amen. That's great. But also may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. I don't know about you, but I'm all about having the power of the resurrection in my life. But I'm not so sure that I'm all about partaking in the sufferings. Can I be real with you this morning? That's a beautiful mystery. That's a beautiful mystery that this apostle Paul could share with this church at Colossae and share with this church at Philippi and share in the book of Romans that he rejoiced in his suffering. Paul doesn't stop there to Timothy who helped write this book of, to Colossae. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he tells Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live, godly, uh, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted or will suffer suffering. Paul was a sold-out religious zealot for bad and now for righteousness. But he understood that his suffering was for the sake of the church, was for the sake of the people, the Christians that made up the church, and ultimately for the sake of the good news of the gospel. And so as he sat imprisoned, as he sat in chains, as he sat in bonds, as he sat under house arrest, he could confidently say that he had so much of a Christ-centered perspective that he would actually rejoice in suffering because he knew that his suffering was further advancing the gospel. It was for the greater good of the gospel. May I practically apply that this morning? This beautiful mystery of rejoicing in suffering? If you find yourself this morning in a season of suffering, let me say, first of all, I believe it's a season. I don't know how long that season lasts. I mean, winter, it's May the 8th and winter's still here, so I have no idea. The AC is kicking in here. We got it. I'm telling you, we're working. Are you experiencing a season of suffering? Physical suffering? Emotional suffering? Spiritual suffering? Are you suffering this morning? Paul was suffering. I believe Paul's suffering was physical. I believe Paul's suffering was emotional, mental. And obviously I believe it was spiritual. I believe Paul in this context was 
experiencing all of those things. I can't explain to you how this happens, and I cannot tell you the details of how this is happening or will happen in your life and in your story. But may I suggest to you today that God somehow uses our sufferings for the benefit of the kingdom. I want to repeat that. I want us to understand this. Somehow, some way, in His supernatural, providential, divine power, God uses our sufferings to somehow further His kingdom. And I don't know how that looks in your life. And I don't know, it will look different maybe in your life uh, than it would look in, the, in someone else's life. But maybe the mystery today, the beautiful mystery that you need to solve is going to come to grips with the extremely difficult truth that our sufferings are not really about us. And that's very difficult to hear. But maybe, just maybe, our sufferings are for the benefit of someone else. You say, Josh, explain that to me. I can't. I cannot explain that to you. I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around it, especially in the moment. But the biblical truth is here that Paul was experiencing suffering. And he rejoiced because it was for the benefit of other believers. And so I don't know what God has brought into your life. I don't know if maybe there's a season of suffering that you've experienced in the past. I don't know if you are currently going through a season of physical, emotional, or spiritual suffering. But I do know this, that God often uses our current suffering as our future story. That God often uses our current suffering as our future story. Do you know what people identify with? They, don't, they do not identify with your wins. They don't identify with you when everything is great and everything's going well. People don't identify with that. Do you know when people identify? They identify with your struggle. They identify with your hurt. They identify with your suffering. May I say this, that as a pastor, that if I'm not careful, I can put up that everything's great, and maybe everything is great, but I can put that, I can, I can, uh, I can push that perception on you, that everything's good, and my life is wonderful, and my marriage is perfect, and I'm the perfect parent, and my wife's the perfect parent, and everything's great, and everything's wonderful, and if you'll just come to Jesus, you can be like me. I about said I about said crap in my sermon, and I'm not going to say it. That is untrue. Untrue. You see, if we're not careful, if we don't share our sufferings with others, we begin to point people to ourselves because we don't have problems, and we don't have issues, and we are, and we are, and we are. Instead, when we will point people to our struggles and our suffering, what are we doing naturally? We're saying, but I made it. Or I'm making it. Or I don't know if I'm going to make it. But I can tell you this. It's on Jesus. It's on God. It's on Him. The beautiful mystery this morning is that you can rejoice in your suffering. Why? Because somehow, in some way, 
God is using that for His kingdom. And may I just say this, be patient. He may not use it for His kingdom today. You may not be ready to share your sufferings with others today. But be patient. God will give you opportunity. I'm fully convinced. God will give you an opportunity and then you will realize that people identify with your suffering more than they identify with you being a savior. The beautiful mystery this morning, the mystery of suffering. Secondly, the obvious mystery in this text, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel, continuing down in this first chapter in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. There's a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. Here's the mystery. We've actually spoken about this before as we've been in other books of the Bible when he speaks of this beautiful mystery. He speaks of the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. And here it is in verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? It is that Christ could be in the Gentiles. It's that Jesus was not the Jewish Savior. I don't know all of your legitimate ancestry, but I personally am thankful this morning that I serve a Jesus of Gentiles. Because to my knowledge, I do not have a direct descent, and I am not Jewish by birth. There may be some people in here that are. I've got friends that are. But the beautiful mystery of the gospel was that for ages and ages, what does this text say? Uh, For ages and generations, the thought had been that the Messiah was for the Jews. The Messiah was for the Jews. I'm not going to take us back into Mark, I promise y'all. But in Mark, I just did. People thought he was going to be their king. Not their religious king, but like their president. Oh, Jesus is here. His political party is going to come into power. And we're going to be given a perfect king. Saul wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. Solomon wasn't perfect. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they split our whole nation. The judges came. Jesus is here. We're going to elect him as president. Let's get the yard signs. But he came and he wasn't the religious, he wasn't the political king. Now he was ushering in a new kingdom. He was ushering in the kingdom of God. He was ushering in this age of this, this grace, this, this new phenomenon that somehow Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor and male and female and child and adult that the ground would be level at the foot of the cross. That was a mystery. That was a mystery. May I apply it this way? 
God called Paul and also Peter uniquely and others uh, here in, in these first few years after the resurrection of Christ. But God called Paul to reach people who were different than him. Could he be calling you to do the same? To reach people that are at a different age or life stage than what you're comfortable with. Maybe not your own, but maybe you're comfortable with. Maybe God is calling you to reach and serve and love people from a different economic status than where you exist. Maybe God is calling you uh, to, to, to bring His love and His, the good news of His gospel to people that are of a dif- different ethnicity than you are. Maybe God is calling you to bring His love and share the good news and make the Word of God fully known to people in a different language, that speak a different language than you do. I don't know how that applies to you today, but I know this was very important that Paul established the fact that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but Jesus came for everyone. For everyone. It's how we closed last Sunday's service. Have you come to a point where it's not God so loved the world, but that God so loved you? You. Paul was making it very clear here this gospel, this word of God, he was making fully known, which by the way, I could have preached on that too. Uh, my job in preaching the gospel is to make the word of God fully known, not my opinion. Not let me, let me give you a verse, close your Bibles, and I'm going to take these two words out of this verse, and an hour later we'll close. That ain't it. It's to make the word of God fully known. If the Bible says it, we say it. If the Bible doesn't say it, we don't. And we don't make up things that we think should be in the Bible and preach them like they ought to be in the Bible. Anyway, that was literally a left-hand turn. Let's get back. Quote. That's what it says in my notes. If the gospel is not good news for all, then it is not good news at all. You say, Josh, but have you looked into all these unique theological discussions? I have. I have gone down every theological path. I have been to the door of honestly not making this statement, to be honest with you. Jeff can probably uh, identify uh, some with this and some of his training, and maybe Tim. I have been to this door, and I have turned back and said, this statement right here, I'll put my money on the statement. If the gospel is not good news for all, the gospel is not good news at all. You see, it is not good news if God did not so love the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. You see, if this is a pick-and-choose gospel, I want no part of it. Either the gospel is good news for all, or the gospel is not good news at all. It's a mystery It's a mystery, especially in this context, to the Jews that are you telling me Jesus isn't our president? Oh, are you telling me that people that aren't Jews can come to Jesus in faith and receive salvation? Shut up. It was a mystery. It was a mystery. And Paul wanted to make it very clear that Jesus was king of the Jews, king of the Gentiles, king of everyone, king of the world. Lastly, this morning, we've seen 
the beautiful mysteries, the mystery of suffering, the mystery of the gospel. This is Paul, remember, introducing himself. Now the mystery of the struggle, the mystery of the struggle. Look at the last two verses of our text. We're staying in the text, which we will do throughout this entire series. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, presenting everyone mature in Christ, a little grammar here, he says, for this, presenting everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all my energy, that I work up myself. Is that what your Bible says? Paul says that he wants everyone to be mature in Christ. And Paul says, I toil and I struggle. This is my struggle. I am trying to get people to become mature in Christ. But notice what he says. I struggle with all his energy. That he powerfully works within me. Remember, Paul is sharing with people a little bit more about himself. A little bit more about his mission and his purpose. And this is that long-term, nitty-gritty, real-life, local church work that Paul is describing here. He is describing and explaining the maturation, the spiritual maturation process that has to take place in the life of a believer. We have spoken about this oftentimes. We have been justified. One day we will be glorified, but in the in-between we are being sanctified. That's that word, sanctification. That is the maturation process. A believer growing to be more like Jesus. Paul's purpose was not just that lost people would, would find salvation in Christ, but then that they would become mature, or some versions may say perfect. That doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean that they are becoming more and more like Christ. So the mystery here is not that Paul would say, I want to see the Great Commission happen, that we would go and make disciples and baptize them and then teach them. It wasn't necessarily that, even though we can take that from here. But the mystery is that Paul toils and struggles, but he does it with the energy of the Spirit, with the energy of Jesus, that Jesus works through him and works within him. The great mystery is that sanctification Helping people along their journey of sanctification and your own personal journey of sanctification, maturing in Christ, is not an energizing work of self, but it is an energizing work of the Spirit. Listen to me this morning. This is important. Paul's going to hit on this. Book of Galatians, he kills it. Book of Romans, he kills it. Listen to me this morning. Sanctification is not an energizing work of self, but an energizing work of the Spirit. You becoming more like Christ is not about you getting up earlier in the morning and reading that extra chapter. Read all the extra chapters, please. I want more Bibles, great. 
Y'all know my mantra? No word, no wordle. So I read my Bible every day because I'm on a wordle streak too. So we're, we're doing both. Is wordle like, people still doing wordle? All right, good. Just want to make sure. I'm all about that. I'm all about reading more and I'm all about praying more and I'm all about doing more. But at the end of the day, the sanctification process is not about energy, the energy that comes from myself, but it's about the energy that's given only by the Spirit. Having begun in the Spirit, why do you continue in the flesh, Paul would ask in his writings. Paul understood that those who would often begin in the Spirit would default to trying to mature and live this Christian life in their flesh. And Paul wanted them to know that in his life and as he led them, that his journey uh, thus far and for the future would be to see people go from justification to glorification on this process called sanctification and that it was not by Paul's energy and not by their energy, but it was by the energy of the Holy Spirit inside of each of us. You cannot do enough good for God to be pleased with you. Listen to the statement. You cannot do enough good for God to be pleased with you. Your energy and your works and your talents and everything that you can bring to the table will all fall short. It is only through Christ and only through His Spirit that we can mature, we can become like Christ. To apply it to you today, are you like me? And you find yourself trying to live the biblical Christian life sometimes in your flesh? Oh man, dang it, I hate it that I spouted off to the guy at work like that. Tomorrow morning I'm getting up and I'm going to read more of my Bible before I go to work. And you do it for a couple of days. Before you know it, you're like, man, I haven't read my Bible now in like four days. Man, I got, oh, I feel so guilty. Oh. I'm going to read more now, man. I got I to gotta catch up. Man, was the last time? Man, my kids... I prayed when we ate dinner. When was that? Tuesday? Man, I got I got a lot to do. I got a lot to talk to God about, man. Good night. Have ever lived that weird checklist life? Of like, oh man, I forgot to check that box off. I need to go back and check that box off because... Jesus frees you from that. And it's a beautiful mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. I, I can't explain it to you. Other than that, if you will take your hands off the wheel and you will get in the back seat and not be an annoying backseat driver, that God's Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and drive you. And he will speed up when we need to speed up. And we'll, he'll slow down. When we need to slow down. And he'll veer to the right and he'll veer to the left. He will keep you between the lines. And if you need an exit, he knows just where it is. But you know what we do? I got it. I got it. 
I got it. The beautiful mystery Paul is saying here is that you don't. And it's time for you to come to grips with it. You don't. The beautiful mystery, the beautiful mystery is that God's Holy Spirit wants to work in you. And you have to surrender. You have to surrender. You mouthed off to the guy at work, as I mentioned earlier. Okay, well, today when you go into work, you say, Holy Spirit, I surrender my words to you. I don't want to say anything. May my words be your words. And when you walk into work, and there's Stephen, and you're like, man, yesterday that dude right there. No, it's not my words. It's his words. It's his words. When you come home from work and you've spouted off to your spouse or whatever the situation may be, and you, and you, you get that, that tension built up in your relationship, and you walk in from work, if, if you try in your own might not to, I promise you you're going to. Say something you shouldn't say the way you shouldn't say it. At the wrong time, you will, especially men. We are, we're really good at that. But if you pull into the driveway and you'll not rush inside the house and you'll say, Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Holy Spirit, shut me up. I saw a really cool meme. The same Holy Spirit that makes you stand up, shout, and wave your hands also tells you to sit down and shut up. That's a good one. He tells me that often. Beautiful mysteries. Beautiful mysteries. The most beautiful mystery was the obvious one stated in the text today. In that context, Paul needed to make sure that all the Jews understood that Jesus was not exclusive for them. That he was also for everyone. He was for the Gentiles in that context. Today, what, it, what does that mean for you and what does that mean for me? It means that Jesus died for you. It, the beautiful mystery is that you, not, not by your merit and not by your works and not by anything you could do, is that you, you can come to Jesus today. It's that you can surrender today. It's that you today can experience salvation that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Not by you getting to punching the clock a little bit more, not, not by you skipping lunch and working through lunch, not by you giving to this organization that feeds people, not, not by you fill in the blank. Now the beautiful mystery is today is that Jesus paid it all. Have you surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus? This is what Jesus literally says in his words in the New Testament. Jesus says that he came preaching this. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means this. That you acknowledge before God that you're a sinner. You acknowledge the fact that anything that you have done to try to earn or work your way into a relationship with Jesus is futile. That you acknowledge your sin and you turn. You say, this is, this, this is not fill in the blank. And you repent. 
and you believe, you turn to Jesus. You don't turn to a church. You don't turn to a pastor. You don't turn to a mentor. You don't turn to a counselor. You don't turn to a website. You don't turn to a feed on social. No, you turn to Jesus and to Jesus only. That's the gospel. Plain and simple. Have you repented and believed? There's a lot that happens I'm not going to get into this morning. Let me just say this. If you've never repented and believed in Jesus, if you will do that today, there will be a beautiful mystery begin to work itself out in your life. And you'll look back and go, how did this happen? And the only thing you can say is, it's a mystery, but it's beautiful. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.